0: What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To get the most up-to-date info, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org. Enjoy. up everybody hey I just wanted to go over a couple things going into the season right now it's Monday December 12th and you know a lot of people go through the season um, they've gone through their preseason stuff they've gone through um, a few games in the season and they're kind of getting an idea of who their players are what the identity of their team might be um, what's working what's not. What needs to be changed? What needs to stay the same? What roles need to be defined? What problems there may be? All those things are going through your mind as a coach. And I think right now it would be a great time to just kind of go through my mindset or, you know, an experienced coach's mindset at this point in the season. Right now, normally you got about four to seven games under your belt. So you're somewhere between a fourth and, you know, a fifth to a, a fourth of the way through your season. And with that being said, there's not much more time to go. And really, I'd say the next two weeks are the best opportunity for you to kind of change the way your season is going. And if you don't change it now, you'll get on that treadmill of league play and it'll be too late to do anything. I've always liked to use this time to really go through almost a second boot camp or a second um, preseason camp to restructure what the identity of the team is or just to reaffirm what the identity of the team is because you come into the preseason and you kind of have an idea um you know we see through a glass dimly kind of idea of what the season's going to look like but you really don't know um until you get a couple games in your belt and you figure it out right now where i'm at currently um at Newport you know we're sitting at 3 and 3 and we've had some ugly games, some ugly losses. We've had some okay wins, some good wins. And it's really a good place for us to just take a, take a step back, watch a bunch of film and say, okay, what things need to be addressed? What things do we need to um, reteach? What things do we need to just cement because we're doing them so well? What roles do we need to um, solidify? Or change, um, you know. And one thing that comes to my mind, especially about roles, is it just reminds me that, you know, you don't want to put, um, I'd say, labels or roles or expectations on a kid, especially, too soon. Because sometimes you'll put a, a, a thought process on a kid that you know maybe limits him or her and they could maybe help you but you've in your own mind as a coach you've seen some things in practice and you're not malleable in your thought process and you're allowing that to influence what uh, might be something that helps your team might be a role player might be a big time player but you've kind of already solidified in your mind this is who this kid is And maybe they're proving you wrong in their play maybe in their limited minutes um or in practice and you're just not seeing it and i think sometimes we need to step back as coaches and we need to just constantly reevaluate what's going on to maximize what our team can be and i think that's i mean that's what we see uh, you know a lot with personal growth is there needs to be constant a constant feedback loop where you're evaluating yourself and thinking and just having a good ability to, um, you know, just self-assess how am I doing? How are we doing? How's it going? Because I think what happens is a lot of times coaches think they've got it figured out early in the season or in the preseason and then they just roll with it and they're just stubborn and they just stick it out and those kids never get to blossom or the team never gets to blossom quite like they should. And i I'm always a proponent of instead of being the Titanic, be you know a, a nimble speedboat, you know where you can quickly shift gears if you need to. And that goes with players, too. I think sometimes what I see is you know coaches um, or teams they'll stick with uh, a certain situation, maybe to their' hurt. And I know that there's a lot of politics and there's a lot of feelings and different things, and there's a lot of dynamics involved with that. but you know, What's the most fair thing for your kids? What's the most fair thing to your team? Is I just say don't put labels or expectations or something on a kid too early, because they may prove you right or they move may prove you wrong, and you need to be open to that. And that just takes humility and self awareness, I think. And that's you know it's one thing I'm noticing all over the board. So number one, you know, just always be giving yourself feedback loop, whether that's you, you and another coach, you and a group of coaches, you and a mentor, whatever it is, I just think you always want to, you know, I've got a number of coaches that I will maybe send film to or I'll just talk through the season um, as it's going and just constantly getting feedback, constantly getting, you know, thoughts on. And normally it's good if there. it's sometimes Coaches in the same classification, or something like that. Maybe not in the same league, but um, you know, in the same classification that know what you're doing, um, know who you are. Maybe knows your personnel, <clears throat> and you're good enough friends with them that they can give you that feedback that you need to, you know, set your coordinates in the right direction. I mean, I used to go. I was a commercial fisherman for eight months up in Alaska and you know, when you do wheel watch at night or you'd be traveling, you know, maybe you'd be taking the boat from Alaska back to Oregon, Oregon up to Alaska, that boat, when you set the coordinates is constantly reevaluating its coordinates. It's being pushed this way or that way from the wind, from the swell, from whatever. And it needs to constantly and that wheel is constantly going right, left, right, left, because if you just are off by one or two degrees, three degrees for any amount of time, by the time you get to your destination, two or three days later, you could be hundreds, if not thousands of miles off. And I think the same thing with us and our coaching season, you know, during the year, during the season, this is it. This is what you coach for. This is what you, you know, as a coach this is what you live for this season right now and i think a lot of times we just blame players you know we'll just blame the situation and when we really should be taking constant self-evaluation of what's going on and what might need to be changed and what maybe are the holes in our thought processes and we need to be students of the game constantly you know i love watching film taking notes of the games and just being like man i i I tend to make up drills like, okay, that situation has to change. We got to, we got to do a drill to work on that specific situation. And I know a lot of coaches, they'll just, you know, okay, we're just going to do the same practice plan or the same, you know, drills that we always do. And I'm a proponent of why don't you look at what the holes are in your team and what you're trying to accomplish. First of all, is your game plan in your scheme? Is that what you want to do? And second of all, if it is, are there some holes and some things that maybe your drills don't teach and you need to reteach those fundamentals in a different way maybe make up a drill or get a drill from somebody else that will help you in that whatever it is um and going back to you know just players and there may be players that you thought you know this guy is this good or this guy's this and then over the course of a season you look at their statistics you look at their play and you're like man maybe this guy isn't the guy that i thought he was and making those changes, even though it might be hard on the kid, it might be hard on the team, um, sometimes those changes need to happen. And I just I'd encourage coaches to, in a very thoughtful, wise way, make changes that need to be made. And maybe they can be done slowly. Maybe they need to be done very quickly, you know, but if it's going to help you in your program, it might be smart to do. You know, we're early in the season and uh, there's a, a number of teams that are very good. Um, you know, we're coaching at the 4A level. They're, you know, I talked to coaches at the 1A, 2A, 3A, um, all the way up. And I just, I, I think I, The season, the cool thing about basketball and basketball season is, and really everything, is, you know, hope is, right now in the season, hope is not lost, no matter what. And I think, you know, I I just got to, we're going to be talking to Jeff Clark. And one thing that I love that he said is, hey, our goal is to be playing on Saturday for a trophy at the state tournament in Pendleton. And I mean, in 2A, you know, that is the goal. And only six teams get to do that at every classification to be playing on Saturday, the last day of the season. And, you know, when you've got 41 teams in 4A or, you know, in 1A it's a lot more teams. There's like 70 or 80 teams in 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A. I think they're all similar right around, you know, the 30 to 40 teams in, in the classification. To be in that top six, I think that's a great goal, you know, to be there. I think a lot of teams are like, state championship or bust, which I get it. I've been on that grind. I've been on that quest, and I've been on that hilltop, and it's great, and it's a it's a wonderful feeling, and you know, it's a great memory. But it's not sustainable to do that um, every year. It's not sustainable maybe to do it any year for a lot of teams, for a lot of programs. So how can you be successful? How can you be accomplished? How can you have the right mindset and the right goal set if maybe you can't win a state championship like there's no way you could run the same season over you could run the 2022-23 season over one million times be Dr. Strange and see every single opportunity and not one chance do you have in winning a state championship what can you do like what's a realistic goal is it making the league playoffs is it making you know the playing around is it making the state playoffs is it just getting a chance to get to the state tournament Uh, you know I've done all of those things I as a head coach have you know one league had home playoff games to get to state lost had home playoff game had away playoff games to get to state lost had home playoff games to get to state and won gone two and out at state you know gone to state and done very well gotten trophies you know third place, second place, first place, it's great. But it's not realistic to have those types of seasons every year. So one thing I think that's very important is creating realistic goals for your team and then creating a, a plan to get there and then being able to shift those goals if you need to and so just in order so you don't lose hope, because I think that's the big thing, you know, is as a coach during the season, number one, you don't want to create a situation where your players have lost hope, whether it's for them, for them, their their own goals. And I think, you know, one one question I'd ask my players before the season is, what are you going to do when you don't get what you want? What are you going to do when you don't get what you want? I ask the players and I ask their parents that. How are you going to react when you don't get what you want? When you don't get the playing time you want? When you don't get the scoring that you want? You don't get the shots that you want? You don't get the calls that you want? When you don't get the wins and losses that you want? When you don't get the end of the season accolades or trophies that you want? What are, What is your reaction going to be? And it's I mean, I think there's something to be said about just training your mind on how you're going to react to those things. You know, one of my, I'd say one of my my Achilles heels, um, if that's the right saying is, you know, I think biggest thing is how do I react when I don't get the calls that I want from officials? You know, it's not always great. And, but when I train my mind, um, okay, I might not get a good call. How's that going to, how am I going to react? And when I do that, when I really train my mind on that, it's better. And I just think when you train yourself as a coach of, you know, we have to be quick and nimble to change expectations. Maybe not expectations of like how, how the program's run, but just expectations on how the season's going or what the end goal is or how players are doing or whatever. It allows you to... Not tear down or wreck the hope that players have. I think clear communication is important. And then also the program. You know, you're trying to, everyone's trying to build or sustain a program. And the biggest thing is just having real expectations and not killing hope. I think hope is the big thing. You see teams quit um, when they lose hope. And sometimes they lose hope because maybe their goals or expectations are too lofty. And so, what's a way where you can maintain that hope? Because I think that's the last thing um, that you want to see go. And it's a very fine balance. I I, I believe that, you know, you can, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of coaches like, no, our goal is this or bust, whatever this is and it's like okay well there's you know only one team that can do that whether it be league or state good luck and then you know you and I get it i mean there's teams that have won the state title last year and they've got a lot of returners or teams that had such a great season last year and just just laid an egg on the first day of the state tournament or whatever and it just didn't go their way and now it's like okay but Only one team can make it. And so I think when I listened to Jeff, he said, you know, our goal is never a state championship. Our goal is to play on the last day on Saturday. And I just love that. Because then when you do get, say, sixth place, you lose in that consolation championship in the breakfast bracket. It's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, maybe it's not a big deal when you go to these schools that the only banners they have up in their rafters is state championships. But there's a... That's few and far between, you know, that's few and far between those types of schools. And I think it's a big deal when you win a league title. I think it's a big deal when you win a, a state trophy. I think it's a big deal when you make it to the state tournament. I think it's a big deal when you make it to the state playoffs. Not everybody gets to do that. You know, some some schools, they're blessed, you know, they're blessed with talent year in and year out. They're blessed with a great feeder program year in and year out there's others you know you just got to ride that wave when it comes or and maybe that wave hasn't come for a long time so how do you get that those realistic goals you know and how do you maintain the the building and the maintaining of a program and I think you know maintaining a positive attitude regardless of, of scenario and um You know, an outcome and glorifying process, glorifying growth and glorifying, um, you know, and the reason I'm saying this is because as on a run that I've had, um, you know, I was blessed with a lot of good players and it was awesome to be, you know, that top dog to come to the gym and you're going to win a lot of these games and i've seen i've seen both types of programs that aren't doing well you know i've seen those teams that they lose with no fight they lose with no grit they lose at every aspect the coach has lost the team the coach's attitude towards the team is completely lost, it's gone, it's over, done. And then I've also seen times where there's a losing program and they're winning even though they're losing because that coach has created a culture of growth you know, maybe they lose by 20 or maybe they lose by 30 or whatever, but the feel and the culture of the program is just awesome. And I love shaking the hands of those coaches after the game. It's like, man, you're doing it right. I want to encourage you because you maybe you're not winning, but you are winning. And let's just be real. Not everyone's going to win all the time in life. We're, we're building, we're building men and women of character that are going to have else and we have to teach those things. We have to teach that, that grit and that tenacity and that will to continue to grind day in and day out the, the people that want to fall in love with the walk rather than the destination, because those people that love to walk they're going to go a lot further than the people that just want to get to the destination. It's just how it is because they love the walk. They love the daily grind. And I think that's the biggest thing coming away from talking to Jeff, which you'll hear in a bit is just, you got to just keep going, man, just keep going. We're trying to build people that are great people. So I encourage you guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jeff Clark. And again, keep grinding.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Eddie Townsend, OBCA board member and assistant boys coach at Newport High School. Today, I'm joined with uh, by Jeff Clark, boys basketball coach at Oakland High School. Coach, how's it going?
2: It's going good, Eddie. It's going real good. good.
1: Awesome. Um, and hey, I just wanted to, you know, I know you, I know your experience and expertise, but a couple, you know, I'm sure there's people that don't maybe know, um, you know, your coaching experiences and accolades and, um, you know, what all the hats you wear, if, if you wouldn't mind just running those down for us, um, a couple of them at least so people kind of know that'd be awesome.
2: Sure. Um, well, um, I have uh, been the head coach at Oakland high school for 29 years. Um, I took the job there right out of, uh, I finished playing basketball at Western Oregon, and, uh, after I graduated in December after my student teaching, I did a little bit of subbing, and I took the job in the fall of 1994, and I've been the head coach ever since, and I'm just entering my 29th year now. Uh, I taught for 15 years in the district, and then I took the, uh, uh, principal job, and I was principal for 13 years, and just took the superintendent job this year. So, I went from principal AD to now superintendent, and, uh, uh, but I'm still coaching basketball and, uh, enjoying, uh, working with kids on the court.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, just knowing you for the short time I have, you know, your, your basketball program is, I think a blue chip, you know, blue collar and I'd say a blue blood of 2A basketball for sure. Um, right up there with the best of them. Obviously, you know, you've gone for 29 years. I have. This pulled up right now, uh, cutting down the nets, you know, this, this record. I mean, you're at the time that this was done, you're 13th on the wins, all time wins in Oregon at 553 back then when you're 26 seasons with three state titles, 2000, 2006, and 2013. I mean, those are big time, you know, I mean, really big numbers. It's not, I mean, I'm sure you've had a ton of really good athletes, but that shows that you year in and year out. And I know this for a fact, you build great teams. Especially throughout the season, and so now right now you you know you are um, obviously in the two a conference and you're sitting at four and one, just five games into the season, you know second third week of December. when you go through your season and you're at this part of the season, what are the things that you're looking to do um, what are what are the most important markers for you in building you know a team that can do something in into the playoffs and into league?
2: Um, well, uh, I, would, I would preface it by saying this year is definitely different than most years because this year we were fortunate enough to have our football team win the state championship. So um, I missed out on um, all of our football players, which is 17 out of our 26 kids in the program uh, were football players. So uh, losing them for the two, first two weeks of the season definitely changes things. But in a normal year, um, <clears throat> when we have all of our kids to start the year on time, uh, we spend those first two weeks doing a little bit of fundamental work, but really establishing what our defensive philosophy and defensive uh, outlook is. And then um, and then from there we evolve our offense into it. So typically in a typical season three weeks in, I mean, I'd be pretty pretty pleased with the fact of being four and one. Um, it, it always depends. You build your schedule a year beforehand so you never really know how the teams that you're going to play the next year are going to be until you really get on the court with them. But I think for us, um, going beyond the wins and losses at this, uh, you know, two-and-a-half-week mark of the games, uh, we really want to look at and see how we're doing defensively, how our identity is starting to develop there, um, and then how we're starting to gel uh, with our chemistry as a team on the offensive end. Um, you know, it's always at the two way level, um, you know, you have a, a lot of turnover, and your numbers, the numbers game is always really important, so we lost six seniors last year, three of them were starters, so trying to um, fit everyone into their new roles and get those roles established across the board. Um, and trying to decide, you know, who's going to do your scoring? Who's going to do your, uh, uh, the dirty work? Who's going to do all of those different things as they start to, uh, to evolve into that and, and learn to play together as a group. So we try and look at all of those things, which are, you know, not, not quite as black and white as just wins and losses or, you know, points, points scored and points given up. So kind of looking at the, at the long game a little bit. Um, Uh, with what our preseason games are
1: and so obviously you seem to always know kind of who is in your league and what they're doing and you seem to be really well prepared every time you go up against the league opponent at this time of the season um what would you say is the most important thing when you're thinking about here comes league in a couple weeks and we got to be locked in for that What, what are things that you're doing to prepare for those those games
2: well, I think it's a combination. I mean, I've always uh, um, ran with the idea of we, we need to do what we do really well, and then we're going to make some minor adjustments against uh, for who we're playing against and what they do. But we have to be able to establish our identity and know what we do and what we're going to do well and, and how the best way to accomplish our own goals are um, of what we want to do out on the court. Um, but you really start your scouting and putting together your paperwork of what, what your other teams bring to the table. Um uh, it's hard, harder this year with, uh, we're start of a four year time block. So we have a brand new league with, uh, and, um, you know, we're in the middle of OSA's experiment with big leagues. So we have 12 teams in our league, uh, which is a whole, uh, uh, new, different animal to try and work with. Um, but I think you kind of going in based on what they, what teams had last year, what they're bringing back. Um, obviously not knowing who, who's going to transfer where and, and what other teams are going to, um, pop in with some new players. But I think you, you kind of, have those uh, um, identities established already. And then you either got to get out on the road and, and, um, and scout. And that's, that's part of the old school. Part of me like to be out on the road. I really like to see a team with my own eyes as opposed to watching them on film. Um, But unfortunately with the extra responsibilities in school and all of those things that I've taken on there has uh, limited my ability to get out, um, out on the road and scout as much, but start doing that work and talking to other coaches. It's always important to have a good relationship with other coaches and, um, you know, be willing to share your knowledge but also be willing to hopefully get some of their knowledge as far as uh, experiences in playing against other teams in your league.
1: That's great stuff. So I mean you you with twenty nine years of experience, you've kind of seen the evolution of basketball as we've gone from one era to the next and now we're going into another era of Oregon basketball with the shot clock. What are your thoughts? I mean, you have um a very unique I, I would say honestly you know, and I would just say that you, I, when I think of some of the toughest teams in two A basketball, or really any, any division, any classification, I'm going to put Oakland in my top three, I would say year in and year out. It doesn't matter the caliber of players. You guys are just tough. The way that you play. I love it. I love the way that you play defense. Um, and really the, the discipline that I see that you progress in on offense every year when you're doing that. I mean, right now and in years past in Oregon, it's, it's been something that you can do going forward into a shot clock era in Oregon basketball. What are your thoughts moving forward? I mean, obviously two A didn't vote very highly for that. They didn't really like that idea of going into the shot clock. What are your thoughts on it and how do you prepare for it going forward?
2: Well, um, I have not made it a secret. I am not a fan of the shot clock. I do not think that it belongs in high school basketball. Um, uh, there's a lot of reasons that I believe that and, um, but, you know, uh, the game changes and you gotta roll with the changes. Um, some of the reasons that I don't agree with it is I think, um, two, two big, uh, things step out there. One, I think that, uh, the score disparities that we have already in basketball are too large. Um, I don't think we have enough coaches that know how to, to uh, um, to manage a, a really good team that is blowing out a really bad team because there are some, you know, to programs that are struggling out there, and we should not be seeing 75 point uh, point spreads. And I think the shot clock is going to make that worse. Um, so, for one, I think that's that's one of my main reasons why I have a problem with it. The second reason is uh, the shot clock changes the um, uh, it it widens the gap between the haves and the have-nots. I mean, the the under um, you know under talented team that's going out there to play the big dogs that are that got you know that are great at all five positions and so forth. Uh, shot clock makes it a lot tougher for that team that's just not quite as good to get that win i mean you can play 28 minutes of great basketball and, and have a 10 point lead and with shot clock and that last four minutes you can easily uh um to lose that lead with all those possessions and and i've never ever been one in all of my career to pull it out and run four corners and stall um but i mean clock management's important and if you've got a lead and with a minute and a half to go and got a five point lead, you're going to spread it a little bit and just not really spread it, but be patient and make teams chase you down. Um, but that being said, South clock's coming in next year, so things change. Um, changes a little bit for our, for our program in the sense of we'll probably have to mix some things up defensively. I think that, uh, you'll see a lot more quick hitters on offense that you're going to have to be prepared to uh, defend. So I think we'll end up, um, I mean, I hate to say this and anybody that's played against me a lot would, Would probably cringe when I said it, but we might play a little bit more zone. We might throw, uh, uh, throw some other things in to mix it up a little bit, uh, defensively because I think your whole philosophy's gotta be, you gotta, you gotta chop 10 or 15 seconds off the shot clock with the other team trying to figure out what you're in and how to attack it, um, to really, uh, um, to, to cut down on their good shots. But I mean, that, that's my third, uh, issue with the shot clock is that. I mean, we have enough bad shots in basketball right now. So having a shot clock with um, teams having to go up against the end of it and take even more bad shots is going to be painful to watch it some, in some cases.
1: I understand that. And so, when you talk about, um, you know, you're you're a proponent of man-to-man defense, and I think you run some of the best man-to-man there is. What are I'd what 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 are like the top two or three things that you hang your hat on when it comes to man-to-man defense that you want to see your players and your teams execute at a high
2: level. Well, I think our, I think first and foremost is you got to be willing to be physical with people. You got to be willing to chest cutters when they come through the key. You got to be willing to put a body on your post. You got to be willing to uh, um, to uh, uh, establish your presence right off and let the other team know that there's no such thing as an easy bucket. I mean, uh, we're going to be physical with everybody and we're going to get up into you and play with intensity. But we're also going to Um, hopefully play up into you enough that you have to do whatever you do at a faster speed than you're used to. And then we hope that we, that our rotations are there coming from the right spots uh, on the, um, at the point of attack, as well as on the backside to uh, force you into some either mistakes and or some bad shots. Um, You know, one of the things that we try and do, it's been a standing rule in my program, which I I, um, definitely took from one of my college coaches of uh, you take three charges in a game, then uh, coach buys you dinner. Um, and that has not happened very much, but it's definitely happened a few times. So we're trying to get teams to speed up and uh, get guys in position to take a charge. And, uh, you know, also one of the lost arts in basketball, you just don't see that very much. Um, but we want to get teams to play a little faster than they want to and um, just kind of be on the heels a little bit about how physical our game's going to be.
1: So when it comes to taking charges, what are some things that you do in practice Drill-wise, or do you just talk about it, or are there some drills that you do to kind of build that concept of we're taking charges? If somebody's coming into the key or coming down the lane, we're going to take that charge.
2: Well, it's changed a little bit. You know, when I first started in the first eight or ten years, we had quite a long list of drills that we did where we did a lot of taking charges in practice. But um, kind of a different, uh, different mindset now. We don't do that quite as much. Um, we, we do some basics on teaching them how to take a charge, proper techniques in taking charges and then from there we talk more about in our rotations you're going to be in this spot so we don't do as much taking actual full speed charges in games as we used to or i mean in practice excuse me as that we used to um, But we uh we break down on the proper way to take a charge and then the proper ways defensively to to set up the opportunities to take charges
1: so you had uh, a a team back in i believe it was 2000 they went 30 and 0 if i'm correct and won the state title yep. and then You kept going. I mean, how, when you talk about that team and you bring that, I'm sure you got, I know you have brackets up and you got different things up in your gym. When you talk about that team with ladder teams after that, what are some of the key elements of that team and your other state championship teams when it comes to defense and when it comes to just execution and how they played?
2: Well, there's no question. Uh, we've had some great teams go through Oakland. Uh, we have been, I've been blessed with some great assistant coaches that have helped me, uh, um, establish our uh, program and continue to run that but uh, we've definitely had some great players and I was so young when we won it in 2000 I mean that was only my sixth year uh, I was barely I think I barely turned 30 that year and and uh, I just didn't um I didn't truly understand and realize how good we were I mean, we had four kids on that team that all could have averaged 25 a game um on their own and they they played great as a group. Uh, they played lockdown defense, had three perimeter guards that just had off-the-charts uh, um, basketball IQs, and it had a 6-7 post um, that was really good at both ends of the floor, and then another 6-4 post that just played his role, you know, defensively and knocking down shots, a couple guys off the bench, and it was, it was really an impressive group that we really, um, as coaches at the time, had no idea just how good they were. Um, We'd never you know, we'd been to the state tournament the last two years uh previously and we'd ran into the NAPA teams with Brian Jackson and, and Mike Oakley that were just off the charts good and and so uh we'd had a taste of that success, but it had came up short. So getting there and getting to that championship really set the tone and, and defensively, I mean, they just all were willing to stick their nose in there and you just weren't scoring on us. I mean, we went through that those four games at the state tournament, uh um, it was when it was still a bracket of sixteen. Uh, and we, we held our teams on average of those four games under 30 points. And that was Napa, Eastland, Christian, Corbett, St. Mary's. Those were good teams and yeah. we held them under 30 points a game on average. And, and then I was fortunate enough to bring, uh, those, our two guards, Blaine Bartholomew and Jordan Humphreys uh, were juniors and Nathan Chartier, our foreman. Those three guys came back the next year, um, mm-hmm. as seniors and we just had some role players that fit in with them and they just, uh, you know, things clicked. We got, we got lucky, uh, you know, in a couple got a couple breaks down at Days Creek, uh um, uh late game run uh to win that when we were down and then Gold Beach when we set the state record uh of uh forty eight um when our or, yeah, forty eighth and down there was pretty just a, a good run of um things went our way and, and the kids just did a did a great job and but again defensively it was just That was other world defense. I mean, we just really got up into people at the point of attack, and and teams really struggled to bring it up and bring it up the floor against us in the full court, let alone um, score much in the half court.
1: And, you know, uh, some people that don't know, maybe in the higher classifications, I never got to bring it. And, you know, maybe this
2: is a good thing. I never brought
1: a team down to Oakland to play. But from what I've heard, Oakland is the toughest place to play in the state. What does it take to build a culture – at your school to where when people come to your gym, it's nearly impossible to win?
2: Uh, You know, I think it's part of it's just that mindset that we have of this is our home court and you defend your home court at all costs. And you, uh, you take pride in winning. You take pride in playing in front of our community and, and with our pep band and, you know, the place the pep band gets going and the fans get going and it's just a great, uh, uh, it's just a it's a phenomenal small school atmosphere and we've had four or five games over the years where we got our our bleachers are overflowing there's people standing in all the corners on the baselines we roll up our uh, doors to the weight room and there's people behind the benches standing in there it's just a phenomenal atmosphere and and uh you know teams teams kind of circle that uh game on the schedule but they also know if they come to our place they're going to have a dog fight and and our kids know that and take a lot of pride in that it's it's that that's been one of the funnest uh one of the funnest things to take part of is just that that mentality of we defend the nut house at all costs.
1: I love that. And so you guys you guys have um you know you guys have obviously played at an extremely high level. I mean you're at, through the year 2020, your winning percentage was 78%, which is unreal. It's off the charts especially compared to a lot of coaches in state history. When you think about that, you think about all the players you've coached, I mean, what are some of the who, – who are some of the top players that you would say are – that have come through Oakland? Why is that? And and what is it that makes them, you know, some of your favorites or some of the best that have ever come through?
2: Uh Well, you know, that's one of the beauties of basketball and being around for a long time. It's really subjective, just like all the people talk about the – who's the greatest player in the NBA. And, you know, even – and that trickles down to high school asking, you know, uh Willis knew who the best players he ever coached at Sutherland were or asking Gary Hull who the best players he coached at Mennonite were uh it's a long list at Oakland um you know you're going to get me in trouble if I start calling out names but I'll <laughs> um I will uh I will throw out some maybe a top five would, uh ooh, 5 five's five gonna get me in trouble but I'll I'll throw out some uh you know Jason Simmons you know the ironic part is three of them um Jason Simmons uh Jordan Humphreys and Blaine Bartholomew all played on that two thousand team. And they were without question in my top ten players that I ever coached with an asterisk next to Brett Crane, who also played on that uh team. He he had transferred uh they moved into Oakland his senior year, so I only had him for one year, but he was also very good. Uh beyond that, Danny Derry was a phenomenal player. He just was a big shot. Danny uh, graduated from Oakland, was a three year starter, and he, um, was eight for eight on game tying or game winning shots in his career. Wow. Um, um, also kind of, you know, unheard of Colton, Colton Baker, uh, phenomenal kid, went on and played at, uh, um, played at U of O for a year, uh, played at Umpqua Community College, then U of O and went on and played as last year at Northwest Christian. Great player. Uh, um, you know, Colton Brownson, Colton Reber. Um, we just, we've We've been blessed with a lot of great players and and those are just the ones that come to mind right there uh There's so many more that did so many phenomenal things um well, I mean like you said if i to to win that percentage of games and to have the success that that we've had at Oakland in the last uh you know thirty years um uh, that's just a tribute to some amazing players that have that we've had the opportunity to coach.
1: Yeah, it's really unprecedented when I'm looking up and down this list. I mean, if you keep it going, you're going to climb pretty quickly.
2: Um,
1: And so, you know, you talked, you've had so many good players. And obviously with so many good players, you're going to have, you know, a lot of guys that might have expectations that aren't realistic. And, you know, you're going through a season and maybe you have a kid that doesn't quite know his role, but he's a good player. Maybe he's not. Uh, He might be a bench warmer. He might be a fifth guy, you know, a fifth starter or something. When it comes to that, what do you do with players, you know, of your experience as a head coach, what do you do uh, just realigning roles and expectations? Because you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, we're just kind of learning our roles where you, you just won the state title for football. So you've got a bunch of winners and, you know, a lot of kids, you got 11 kids on the football field at one time, five only in basketball. So when they come into basketball season, you got 17 of those kids. I mean, how do you work those roles and responsibilities and, you're going to disappoint some people. How do you do that and still keep a cohesive winning program?
2: Well, it's really all about communication. Um, It's about open communication with kids. And I think that's one of the things that we take the most pride in at Oakland over the years um, and the success that we've had is that we, we work really hard to establish the roles of every kid and to value all those roles equitably. It doesn't matter if you're the best player on the floor or you're the 12th or 13th player on the team, you still have a very valuable role to the success of the team. And if you don't embrace your role and play your role to the best possible uh, degree that you can, then the team's going to suffer, and we're not going to be as successful. Um, And we have uh, we've had some kids that have that have moved into Oakland or have transferred into Oakland and um, to some good teams. And we've had to, and that's adjusted some kids' role who, you know, maybe been in Oakland for. Eleven years, and they're ready to have their senior year and be a starting whatever. And all of a sudden, somebody moves in that might take that spot. Um, one of the things that we uh, we really talk a lot about is making sure that we establish the importance and value of everyone's role. And uh, you know, I think one of the things that exemplifies that so we've had four different seasons um, where we have platooned ten kids and played five and five, and have had those kids. Kids that were expecting to come in as seniors and play 28 minutes a game and instead have had to take on a role of going, hey, we're going to play five and five and it's going to be maybe uh, 18 and, and 14 minutes or 20 and 12 minutes. or. Um, but in the end, it's what's best for our team, and it's what's going to allow us to be most successful um, over the course of the year. And, I mean, we, our goal every year is the same. Our goal – Every year when we start the season and what we talk about and reference throughout the year is not to be state champions it's to play on Saturday in Pendleton because we know if we're playing on Saturday in Pendleton we're gonna um we're gonna walk away with the trophy we're gonna come home with something that goes in the trophy case it's going to be one of the top six teams and not everybody gets that opportunity and and so our goal every year because if we've always felt if your if your goal is just to be state champion you make it to the tournament and you have a a rough opening game which four teams that make it to the tournament always have a rough opening game and lose then the season's not over you still are playing to get there and still accomplish your goals so um so that uh you know playing for a trophy on saturday is our mantra that we use throughout the year
1: and i love that you know one one summer when i was at toledo we came to oakland and i was in your locker room and i saw that you have a mileage marker that says you know <laughs> Uh Pendleton is what, like 390 something miles away, right? I don't know what it is. Yeah.
2: 378.
1: And so then I I yep. quickly went to my phone and I said, Okay, how far is Toledo from Pendleton? And it was 336 miles. And the crazy thing is, Toledo's uh phone prefix is five four one three three six. That's all the nice. phone numbers there. And so I said, This is amazing. So I started making that a mantra, like PDT three three six, like we're getting the you know. And so I take, I, I really do appreciate you and your program. I think, I mean, you d- maybe didn't know it, but you definitely inspired me when I was at Toledo, and a lot of things we did. So I, I just want you to know I appreciate that. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really inspiring to see what you've done at Oakland and just all that. And one thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, you played a lot of two A basketball. You've had a lot of different rivals. I, I wanted to know who would you say. Uh, over your twenty nine years are like your top three rivals in two a basketball over the years as a coach wow that's
2: a tough uh, that's a tough question um uh, because there's been those rivals that uh, it's cyclical especially at the two a level because you, right. so many programs are you know up and down um programs that have a four or five year great great run of kids and then they kind of drop off and they really struggle for a long time and then kind of come back into it and and, um, and the landscape of 2A changed so much in 2006 when they changed it from, um, four classifications to six. We went from 82 teams in, in 2A down to 40-ish, 41-ish teams. And so that changed the landscape a lot. Um, you know, I'd say at the, in the league level, uh, North Douglas, um, was always a great rival when we were, uh, back in the old big fur league. Um, had a great rivalry with Cascade Christian over the years when they were in the Big Fur League, and that one kept up. Brian, Brian Morris, who's a fantastic coach down there. Um, yeah, we've, we've stayed in contact and, uh, played a lot through about 2010, 2012, um, played a lot of games against each other. Um, Gold Beach, when they first dropped down in 1999, uh, they came into the Big Fur League, and, uh, Glenn Littoral was their head coach. He's one of the best coaches I've ever coached against. Uh, he just, he just prepped so well. And, and, um, so, uh, that was a great rivalry for a long time. We had a great rivalry with Bandon, um, in '04. our, our, um, you know, Ernest Garrett, one of our top guys off that '04 team, uh, his family moved to Bandon. And so we got to compete against him in the next two years, '05 and '06, um, against that group that he'd grown up playing with Danny Derry and Greg Eggers and Andrew Brenner and Chad Beecroft, that great, great team we had, uh, um so they battled throughout. So they they were a great rivalry at that time. Um you know, on the state level, uh Western Mennonites has been a good uh a good rival over the years, although um I don't know, it always feels like they get the best of us, but we've we've gotten them a couple uh, a couple of times accounted and, and uh we feel pretty good about that and and so it it definitely varied over the years, uh without a doubt. I just unfortunately I think the changing landscape of Going from four to six, and the league changing every four years, the the true rivalries that were there, that were just you know laid out in the dirt, that you just circle it no matter what, have have kind of gone by the wayside a little bit, and that's that's unfortunate. I think that's a uh, unfortunate thing for for um, for basketball. And I don't, I mean, maybe it's not quite that way at the at the higher levels, but I think it's it's even dropped off there just because of the changing leagues and the um, the floating between classifications of schools.
1: So when you you know, I just want to ask you about that. When when we're you're you've been one of the higher ups when it comes to, you know, you're a part of the decision making process at the OSAA level, being a principal and not being a superintendent, being an AD for years. What is it that you think uh, the OSAA might, you know, benefit from doing more or less of to help especially basketball in the state of Oregon?
2: Well, I think that uh two things come to mind. Um, one of which is I don't believe that Oregon – I believe Oregon is too small of a state to have six classifications. I think six is too many. Um, at minimum, we need to go back to five. Um, uh, I can, you can see that the quality of two-way basketball in 2006 uh, stayed, stayed on until about 2010, and then um, just the sheer um, numbers of competing at the two-way level against 82 teams versus 41 teams um the the level of um high quality basketball dropped off some when you take the Dayton and the Amity's and uh uh, uh Cascade Christian and St. Christian and all those guys that you compete against uh in those years um drop those uh, move them up and, and drop the other ones down. Um so I think for starters that sticks. And then I think the other thing that's really hurting uh not just basketball but all sports right now is the play down um the play-down model where teams don't have success at their own level and are able to drop down and play uh, at a lower level against uh, smaller schools. Is, it's just not a recipe for success. It's not fair to the teams that are, that are playing at their own level and trying to compete, and those kids are, are doing everything that they can do, and then they end up losing out on league championships or state tournament bursts or schools that are bigger schools that aren't able to compete at their level, so they're able to drop down and, and take away those opportunities from the, um smaller levels.
1: And I agree with you on that. I mean, you know, when you look, I I think last year was the year where you looked at who the state champions were in football, and a number of them were these teams that had been, that dropped down, you know, I'm not going to call them out, but you can go look it up. Um, Yeah. The the other thing I want to talk about, you know, I went from Toledo that, um, you know, we had a little bit of it at Toledo uh, when it comes to teams in 2A, you probably see it at three a quite a bit, I know I know for a fact we see it at four a I mean for sure, there's a lot of talk about it at four a right now, but these teams that are just openly i mean I don't want to throw it too many, but it looks as if there may be some recruiting violations or something like that, and maybe there's no action taken or there's not enough evidence or whatever. What are your thoughts on that when it comes to recruiting and transfers and all that stuff do you do you think it's a big deal? Do you think it should be handled one way or the other? Because I know that there's a lot of coaches that talk about it, and it's a big deal to a number of people. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, I do think it's a big deal, and I do think it's uh, it is um, it is not a uh, it's not good for the game as a whole. Um, I think uh, you see it at all levels, um, and I'm and I'm just talking about movement of kids, I'm not necessarily talking about recruiting. Because I, I just I don't, I'm, I'm not willing to get into that uh, right. that argument. It's a ty- kind of a tired argument. It's unfortunate. And, yeah, I think there's people out there breaking the rules, but I think there's people out there breaking the rules at all levels. I think uh, if you step back a little bit and you look at the, the progression of the game over the last 30 years, um, I think that you just see it's a trickle-down effect. And you, you're seeing it in college um, with the transfer portal and the NIL deals and everything else, and right. that has – um and then I, I mean, even a step behind that, the free agent, I mean, changing in the, in, in the NBA. And so I just think it, it goes backwards and it trickles down. And so now, um, with the player movement, you know, kids are, are quick to, uh, to even legally transfer and get up and say, you know what? I can see the writing on the wall and my, my team's not going to be very good or, you know, maybe I'm going to, maybe 500 is going to be about the best we're going to be. But if I pick up and go over here, um I can play on this team and you know we got a chance to make a run at the state tournament and maybe make a run at a title and I think that 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 player movement has been there all along but it has definitely gotten easier over the years um to uh for for players to move from one group to the other and and um and I think there's there's merit to the age old debate public versus private is not a level playing field um and it's it's difficult to uh you know be a part of but I also feel like you can spend all your time whining about all that, or you can just go. You know what? These are the kids I got. We're going to go into about into battle as best we can, and we're going to um, we're going to commit to doing what we do as good as we can do. We're going to take all on all comers and not not look for excuses beforehand and say, you know, ah, uh, well, if we lose, you know, it's not fair because they recruited their team or this, that, or the other. Hey, we're just going to go out and give everything we got and bust our tails and and see how it plays out.
1: And I love that mindset. And that's, I mean, that's all you can do, right? You just go out there and yep. convince your, your your guys that it, it doesn't matter. Um, so when you talk about some of the most, you've, you've obviously coached, you know, almost near a thousand games at Oakland. Um, when it comes to that, are there a couple games that are just the most memorable games that when I say, hey, what are the best games or the most memorable games you can come at? What are those for you? Who was the opponent? What was the result? I mean, how? What? What are some of the things that bring back, bring back that nostalgic moment for you?
2: Ah, uh, boy, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, uh, that 2000 season, obviously going undefeated against some uh, real heavyweights that year, um, was was big. That that was a funny year because at the state tournament that year, three teams came to the state tournament undefeated. Eastern really? Christian, led by. Uh, J.D. Hill and Kyle Cowan was undefeated. J.D. Uh, Okay. Yeah. And he was a beast. That would have been his, uh, I want to say, sophomore year. It could have been his junior, but I think it was his sophomore year.
1: So just pause on that. How good was J.D. when he was in high school?
2: He was tough. Yeah. He was a player. I mean, he was the tough in the matchup because he was about six, about six, four, six, five ish. He could shoot to three, he could put it on the floor. Uh, He was big enough to take, he didn't always like, at least in his younger time, when we played him as a freshman and a sophomore. Um, he didn't love to go into the post, but if he did go into the post, he was pretty solid at, uh, um, at, uh, taking it. They were, they were tough though. Kyle Cowan was a phenomenal point guard as well. Uh, just a, they, that was a loaded team. That was a good, that was a great win for us, um, getting them. We played them in the semis and Culver came in that year, uh, led by the Macy kids and, uh, um, Kurt Shelley was our head coach at that time, young Kurt Shelley. Um, they were also undefeated. They lost a tough one. I think they lost their opener maybe to Napa. Um, so uh, I think the times of the state tournament, I mean, I can't, I can't, uh, deny that one of the best games, most memorable, um, from a fan and a coaching perspective, uh, the state championship game in 06, uh, playing against Sandy M. Christian. Um, they were, they were very good. And, uh, we trailed most of the game and hit a three at the buzzer. Greg Eggers hit a clutch three off a side out of bounds play. Um, at the buzzer to send it to overtime, and we end up winning in double overtime um against a stack I and mean, fannie M Christian was so good that year and as um, you
1: talk i just there's things that come up in my mind you know when i because i I've, I've watched a ton of games um and watch you guys watch you coach i mean especially in the state tournament, you just have a knack with your team that you just stick close, you know maybe yeah. you're you're overmatched you know i remember um there there's a number of games. And even in some of the games you lost, you just kind of keep it close. You keep working, you keep grinding, and sometimes you you just bust through and you win those tough games. What is it about you, and what is it about the message and the culture that you're sending to your kids that just creates that that will to win and that fight in your teams?
2: Well, it's just that mindset of you just can't give up. I mean, basketball is just an extension of life and. We don't, we don't want our kids ever to give up in life, and if you're really going to find that success, you just got to be willing to dig down deep when it's hard, when it's tough, when you're trailing, when the guy just keeps getting by you, someone's got to come over and take a charge. Someone's got to pick your pick your teammate up, just those little things, and that's really, you not know, I mean, I'd love to go into the state tournament and blow everybody out by 30, but that's just not how it works. Uh, you know, you got to grind it out, you got to be able to stay within striking distance, and I mean, really, the fourth quarter of a state tournament game. This is like this is like the best place in the world. I is there a better? Is it. there
1: a better situation? So, I have a memory of mine. Uh, the year before we won the state title, we were playing uh, Western Christian, who used to be Western Mennonite, and we just got homered. I mean, my I, I felt like we in we were down like the whole game. My best player got fouled out in the third quarter and we made a run. We were coming back and we cut it to like six. They called a timeout and I look up in the stands and I just see you chuckling. I, I You probably don't remember this, but it just is like, you know, I'm I'm feeling like we're kind of, we're just battling with these guys and it's a Jeff Clark moment. And you're just, it's like, you know, I'm yelling at the, team, the guys in the in the huddle, just like, we got this. And I, I just happen to glance up and you're just kind of chuckling at me. So I just, it made me think, like, he must do this. He just gets into his guys, and they have this, this level of belief in what he's saying, and they just buy into it, and they do it, and they perform in it. I see it year in and year out with your guys, and I just think it's impressive. So, you know, moving on from that, so you, you, you were going on, you, you got the 06 game. What's one more game that is, like, this is one of the most memorable games that I can remember as a coach um, through the years?
2: Well, I'm going to give you three of them because of just kind of how that played out. Um, yeah. In that '06 season when we won the state championship, the game before that, uh, when we were not the game before, because we went on quite a run. I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't call out the Salem Academy game, the game to go to Pendleton, because that group in '06 was such a special group. As sophomores in 04, most of them started, and we had Ernest Garrett that ended up leaving and going to Bandit. Um, we went 22-1 and one that year in the regular season. The only loss was a four-overtime loss to Harrisburg on the road, who finished fourth that year. Um, we lost to St. Mary's in the game to go to Pendleton. Uh, dealt with some injuries, just, and, and St. Mary's was super legit. They just came in. We beat them by 20 in the preseason. They came to our place and beat us in the game to go. It's the only game we've ever lost in Oakland to go to the state tournament. And – uh so we came up empty in 04 and 05. We go to Willamina losing in, uh, overtime to go. So this group of seniors in 06, they, they had, they were running the risk of never even making it to the state tournament after we'd been like nine straight times or eight straight times before them. Wow. And so it was a big deal. And we went to Salem at, we, it was, they went back to 16. We lost, uh, or we beat Lost River at our place in the first round. And then we had to go to Salem Academy with, uh, um, with uh, Pete Potloff and, oh, uh, man, the wizard. I think that was a super great ball handler, just a phenomenal oh, player. Oh, the professor? The professor, there you go, not the wizard, <laughs> yes. Uh, so we're playing those guys on the road, and we're down, I think we're down uh, 13 in the third quarter and down eight at the end of the third. And um, Danny Derry hits a shot at the, um, at the baseline with about eight seconds to go. Take the lead, and then we had two fouls to give. And anyway, we get that game, and uh, that kind of propelled us. But I wasn't even going to mention that game. The the early that season, we played Bandon against Ernest after he'd left and went over there. And Bandon was loaded, super talented group. Um, we went to to Bandon and got beat, and so they came to our place, and the place was just packed, total Oakland nuthouse basketball. And we we pummeled them. We beat them by thirty something, um, just dominated. That was a huge. Kind of a, not that we hadn't already maybe arrived ish as a program, but that was a huge stepping stone moment. Then in 2008, uh, same kind of thick game with North Douglas. We'd lost that team, you know, went 29 and 28 and 2 on that year. Um, lost a tough one to Kennedy in the opening of the tournament, but um, had another great game against Drain at our place. They beat us at their place and we um, handled them pretty well at our place. And then The 2013 state championship game was just a phenomenal game that uh, against Irgon, they were undefeated. Uh, They were going to, you know, kind of take our place as that undefeated state champion at the two way level. And kind of, like you said, we hung around, never, we never did lead hung around, hung around. And uh, Connor Dolan hits a shot in the corner with about two minutes to go to give us a one point lead. And, Jeb Harper hit a bunch of free throws down the stretch, and we end up getting that W against a super, super talented Aragon team.
1: Yeah, we and, ended uh, up playing them a couple years later, and they were
2: yeah. tough. Unfortunately, field. we uh, we got them the year after in the championship somehow. I don't know, with the group, um, our group in 2014, just super hard workers. We end up getting back to the championship game, and they, they crushed us. <laughs> uh, kind of payback for that um, undefeated piece. But uh, those games – and there's so many others, but those, those games really stick out uh, um, as just just great nuthouse basketball. Um, it's just been such a great ride. I am so so blessed to have to be part of this program for so long, and to have such a great community of Oakland and such a such a wonderful group of players. And one thing um, I'm super proud of is how many players I've had over the years that have then turned into be head coaches um, and and have. This, Jordan Humphreys, uh, head coach at Roseburg High School right now. Andrew Young went through a good stretch at uh, um, at North Douglas and is uh, doing some assisting in Burns right now. Andrew Humphreys, uh, Kyle Kolmbach—that's an old school guy. Um, just guys that have have went out and either been head coaches or assistant coaches in different places. That really makes me makes me proud um, of uh, kind of feel like that's that's a, an area that I can, have been able to give back to the game and uh, you know be able to. To influence influencing kids that go in and, and follow their passion and do that. So um that part of my proud of it.
1: That's awesome. I, I mean I could I could keep you forever. I'm not going to um they got a lot of questions. But one thing I did want to ask is you just going to the going to right now. I know we're early in the season. Um and this kinda I wanted to do just touch base with you and then talk a little bit about two way basketball right now. You know, right now the Valley Coast Conference is your conference. You have the number one. I mean, this is very early in the season. I understand that. And there's going to be 24 games minimum in the regular season, and then, you know, league playoffs and state playoffs. But you got yourself at number eight, four and one. Eastland at number three, four and zero. Oh. Central ends three and zero. Oh. Um, and then you got some other good teams. You got Stanfield at the number two spot at six and zero, oh, and Kennedy number four at three and zero. Oh. Uh, so it looks like Hepner's pretty good at four and one Salem Academy. We, we played Salem Academy. They look real tough at three and one. What are your thoughts early in the season? Who do you expect? Um, you know, it's not, you're not holding, we're not holding you to this, but what are your, what is your diag your, your prognosis on two A basketball and your preview? Who do you think maybe might get to the tournament this year?
2: Well, it's definitely early in the year, but I'll tell you, um, it, for our own league, um, uh, Eastland Christian is very legit. They are very, very good. Um, Jonathan has been playing at a very high level. They are uh, loaded with talent. Uh, lost a couple of seniors from last year, but had a really good JV team. And, uh, they are definitely for real this year. Um, Gold Beach is also really good in our league. Um, have brought back everybody that played last year, made it to the state playoffs and lost to a, a really good Kennedy team at home. Um, but, uh, Gold Beach is also very good. Bandon, uh, brings a good core back and Central Inn also's got I mean, they got two guys that have been four year starters playing for him. So our league in itself is is pretty stacked with some pretty good teams. Um Monroe's no pushover. There's some there's some good ones in our league. Um and then when you go around the state, um you know a lot of the uh um usual suspects uh, I'll tell you I'm glad I don't play in that league that's right above us. Um oh, man. that league is loaded. We just played blank blanchette on Friday or Saturday night in the championship of the Harrisburg tournament Um, You know, came down from 3A last year, wasn't, didn't have a ton of success um, as far as wins and losses in the 3A level last year, but they're loaded with seniors, they're super athletic, they play hard and fast, Uh, they're very good, Salem Academy is very good, Um, Kennedy is very good this year, Um, loaded with seniors, Um, uh, Western Mennonite uh, is in that league that's also, or Western Christian, excuse me, it'll always be Mennonite in my book. Um, Yep uh also very good in that league and uh Sandy M's no pushover they got a um we played them in the tournament uh when their point guard was a freshman and he was he was very good then and it's just gotten better um and then beyond that uh i mean that league is that league is stacked um and then you know Napa's always good Manhouse Christian had a great run last year and uh they bring a good core back this year um you uh, know the Eastern Oregon teams are always there's always two or three great teams out of Eastern Oregon um you know, the pace has changed a little bit. Um, like I said, happened and Stanfield, they're both looking pretty good early. Uh, the one thing I don't spend too much time looking at the rankings at all until about, until about 10 or 12 games when things kind of balance out some. Yep. Um, but, uh, but I'll tell you there's, there's some good teams in the two A level this year. So it's going to be a dog fight. And, uh, I mean, you know, um, no offense to the private schools, but I always root for more public schools to get there. But, but I think there's going to be quite a few private schools and, uh, and some good publics there, so it should be some pretty good battles in Tennessee.
1: And so, when it comes to, you know, I right now I'm obviously assisting at a 4A school. When it goes to all the different classifications and the different state tournaments, tell me why I'm wrong, if you can, that 2A is the best basketball playoff experience you can get.
2: Well, um, I guess if I really go old, old school, I would say a, a better playoff experience would have been back in the old, old days when they played the, um, back when we were only four classifications, and it was B-A, 2-A, and 3-A, so the Rosebirds and Lake Oswego's of the world were 3-A, and the Sutherlands of the world were 2-A, that 2-A state tournament at the, um, which would be, you know, equitable to the 4-A now, I guess, um, when they played that at Matt Court, that was yeah. an amazing experience. Um, really so as a as a player that was that was awesome to be able to play there as a sophomore and a senior at matt court and I mean while we wouldn't sell it out we would definitely uh it would be packed on the first two levels and that was that was a phenomenal experience but I'll tell you what it is hard to match the experience in in Pendleton um you know whether it's uh whether it's an eighteen tournament so you got eight boys and eight girls with sixteen teams there or in those great uh shortened uh time when we had thirty two teams there. It's just a phenomenal experience. The community of Pendleton just embraces the tournament, and uh, you play on the the convention center floor, and you pack out 3,000 fans in that place, and it's on state championship night. I just send shivers up my spine just talking about it. That is the best experience. And I think part of the reason that it is such a good experience is because it's just about the right size for our classification, where you know, I've been at the six A tournament when they're playing at UP or uh even the four A uh when they're playing at, at Oregon State at Gill Coliseum. The 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 while it's great to play in venues that big, you just you don't pack it out and there's nothing like having three thousand packed out fans at a convention yeah. center screaming and yelling and bands playing and it's just it's awesome. It's such a such a great atmosphere.
0: And
1: I'll be honest with you, I thought I, – I just don't like the situation with 4A where it's at Forest Grove High School. You know, it's just a high school. It's like, okay, we're going to, you know, Forest Grove High. I mean, yeah. it'd be great to get there. I personally think on that second weekend, why not send 4A over to Pendleton? You know, Pendleton is – I think – I agree with you. They do such a good job of hosting a tournament and just boost it. It's like maybe that venue's too small, but I doubt it because – I mean, you go to Forest Grove High School. All the games except for the championship night, they're they're not. There's not that many people, you know. And it's like, hey, get there early, get a seat. Let's put 3,500 people in here and make it awesome. It's just an idea. Yeah. But but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Pendleton. I mean, there, it's it's. It, I agree with you. There's nothing like it. And you know, I do want to publicly thank you. We won the state title in 2020, and uh, you were there, and you had, uh, you know, you guys were done for the most part, and you you guy, I asked you to. Let your band play for us in the state tournament. We didn't have a band and you did. And I think you're maybe one of the best. You might be the only two A school or one of, you know, very few that has a, not just a pet band. If you haven't heard Oakland's pet bands, uh, you need to go, go to Pendleton or go down to Oakland and watch a game and, and really experience what they do. I mean, it's just amazing. And they played for us, um, for the state championship game. It was awesome. And I want to thank you for that. That was really cool of you guys and appreciate that.
2: Yeah, well, that was, that was, it was good, it was a good opportunity for them to show off what they do as well. And our, and our pet band is amazing and, uh, led by Matt Hill, but, uh, and before him, Lon Huckabee and before him, uh, Dennis Batson. Those guys did an amazing job and they, and it is a, it is a task to take a band of 30 to 40 kids over there and, um, entertain them and get them going and, and have them playing at a high level. But they, they do a phenomenal job and it definitely adds to the atmosphere.
1: It's so good. Well, um, you know, Jeff, I appreciate you coming on with such late notice. Uh, you know, I'm rooting for you. I, I, I hope you guys have a great season, get a shot at winning another state title, or at least getting a trophy, like you said, on Saturday night or Saturday, um, the last day of the season. And, um, you know, I, I want to encourage everybody go check out an Oakland game, go see, you know, what I'd say is a, a blue chip program, um, in Oregon. Uh, for any classification go check it out so thank you for coming on we just want to thank you for that and um yeah good luck
2: well thanks for having me and i would be remiss if i didn't say that that uh opening game in 2018 wasn't a very memorable game when you uh i think (laughs) you pretty much had the bulk of the team that you won it with two years later when they were young as freshmen and we had a, a pretty senior dominated team that's just that was great basketball and and uh I just would say, without question it's been an honor to me to be able to um to coach at the high school level and uh to influence as many kids' lives as i have and i and i I would be remiss if I did not take the time to uh send out a huge thank you to Willis New, who's my high school coach that um that uh took me off the scrap heap when I was in middle school and turned me into a basketball player with a lot of hard work and effort and patience and um uh, even as a head coach, um, when I first became a head coach, he was still coaching at Sutherland and he took the time to, uh, spend time with me individually after practice every day to talk basketball and, um, and help me, uh, um, develop my coaching philosophy and schemes. And, and, uh, and I've tried to also pay that forward to other coaches. So, um, I just, uh, I just, I, I can't be thankful enough for all the experience, great experiences I've had. And I enjoyed coaching with you, Eddie. and, as well as many other great coaches along the way. So just uh, just happy to be uh, part of the ride.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Clark about his adventures in coaching and, and life. Uh, tune in next week as we talk to Dayton High Coach Ron Hopp and go over the 3A level. Until next time, creep grinding.